0: To the Directors Wall Podcast, Season Two, Coppola Cast. I'm one of your co-hosts, AJ Gonzalez, and I'm Brian Connolly, the other co-host. We went back to M Night Shyamalan, talked about Old. Yeah. Took November off because why not? <laughs> <laughs> and now, now our long-awaited Tucker episode. It's is finally,
1: here. finally on my other uh, podcast, The World Is Wrong. I think for the last year, I've said that this was going to be our next episode, because we, we always record our episodes months in advance, and I always predicted, like, I think we'll be at Tucker, and I think it's been at, I think it will be Tucker for, since maybe
0: March. <laughs> but here, it finally... Here we are, much like the Tucker <laughs> automobile, it materialized, <laughs> here it is, finally, proof. <laughs>
1: so the official title is Tucker... The Man and His Dream. And so that's what we'll talk about. But first, as always, we have a Coppola wine. We've done this wine before, so I won't bore you with the details. But we're doing the uh, Francis Coppola Diamond Collection 2018 Black Label Claret. Or Claret, however people want to say it. And it's perfect because it's actually cold tonight in Texas. So like a good... You know, nice
0: red really yeah. really complements sort of the chilly the chilly weather. It is cold tonight. Going to get down to 48, 49. Ooh. And then guess what? Record high temperatures for the rest of the week. <laughs> I mean, think that Saturday is going to be like 85. Yeah. It's like, oh, Texas. Oh, Texas.
1: <laughs> uh, this year when we had that crazy f- uh, frozen winter storm, I think it was like three days after the snow melted, it was like 75
0: and beautiful. Oh, yeah, it was whatever. back up to literally 80 degrees. <laughs> It was eight degrees. Like everyone was posting, everyone that had electricity and internet access was posting screenshots of their phones saying that it was eight degrees during the day in Austin. Yeah. And then, like, almost a week later, it was 80 degrees. It was eight zero. Yeah. You know,
1: it's, you never know. You have to check the weather every day before you put a shirt on because you just don't know. You just don't know. (laughs) Well, uh, whose turn is it to do the plot?
0: I've, Who did Old? I think I did Old. Oh, really?
1: Damn. All right. Well, this one's easy. Yeah, I can you do this Gardens,
0: one. I remember you did Gardens of well. Oh,
1: Style. you're right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll suffer through this one too then. Uh, so, Tucker, A Man in His Dream, 1988, rated PG. Based on a true story, uh, Jeff Bridges plays Preston Tucker. And the movie begins with a very sort of Citizen Kane, newsreel, just kind of letting you know who the character is. He's this brilliant inventor. He's got all these ideas, uh, especially in like in the war and World War II, he helped make this kind of like tank sort of car
0: thing that the army ended up using. As a tank car, like he made a tank that went really fast, too fast, 50 miles an hour. (laughs) You don't want to go too fast when you're in a war, you know? But
1: So he comes back from the post-war with sort of these big ideas and dreams and everybody being like, Tucker, we love you. What's next? And he has this idea for this car. This car that's going to change everything. Uh, it has headlights that turn with the steering wheel. When you turn the steering wheel, the headlights turn with it, which is actually a great idea. Yeah, that that's is a, a great, great idea. idea. Uh, the engine is in the back of the car. which Where no, it should be, where it should he be. says. <laughs>
0: and you know what? Kind of makes sense.
1: <laughs> and he... Uh, seatbelts. Like, he wants seatbelts in the car,
0: too, right? Seatbelts and pop-out windshields. So when, Safety. The, gla- when yeah. the glass breaks, it pops out, not into your face. So very,
1: very ahead of his time. And he is definitely an Elon Musk sort, where he's just self-financing, just doing this thing. Like, really just, like, he's putting everything into it, and everyone's behind him trying to make this thing. Like, everyone close to him. But... Much like the actual Tesla, the government and the evil corporations of America are against this guy making this thing that kind of makes their thing seem a little more obsolete. And so he ends up having a hard time getting this car to be made to the point of premiering it before it's even done because it's already been announced and he has this rush and he has a few backers for it. And he feels the pressure to, to, to show it. And there's a really funny scene of them basically, like, duct taping this car together. Uh, just so they can show it real quick. So it can drive, like, for, like, a few feet. And then just hide it away while they actually work on how to make it. Uh, and then it turns into a big legal battle. And this movie actually has crossover with the aviator. Where it deals with the same sort of lawsuits that Howard Hughes had to go through with the Spruce Goose. The I'll same...
0: Just... Uh... Villainous corrupt senator that Alan Alda played going after Howard Hughes and the Aviator. Yeah. is the same senator, same guy is played by Lloyd Bridges because if you get Jeff Bridges, you <laughs> gotta get his dad, you gotta get Lloyd Bridges in there.
1: <laughs> and there, and the movie kind of turns into this big courtroom movie for the last 30, 40 minutes. And he, the car never really became a thing, the movie is kind of bittersweet. Um yeah, like they they made they made the car but it never really caught on at the time. It was too ahead of its time. What's funny is during Thanksgiving, um my sister-in-law's boyfriend bought a brand new Ford truck and it has the headlights turning with the steering wheel. And I was like, "Oh, that's Tucker. That's Tucker's invention." Like it's finally like I don't buy a lot of new cars, so maybe that's the thing that's been around for a few years, but like that's, such, that's how headlights should work. That makes sense. It should be the way you're pointing it. Oh, and I want to say that my dogs are running around, so you may occasionally hear the jingle jangle of uh, their leash. They, or have, their they, collar. Have,
0: they have strong tails, <laughs> so there tail. might be some. And their uh, Christmas decorations are up, so hopefully they <laughs> don't uh, whiplash any ornaments. Well, it's their bedtime, so hopefully they'll just mellow.
1: But if you hear any weird sounds, it's not Jacob Marley. It's my dogs and their you know, little chains jangling. Anyways, so that's the plot of Tucker. This is a movie that Coppola has been trying to make for a long time. Maybe you can, uh, you're the one who's been reading the biography on Coppola, like, enlighten us on the journey uh, that is
0: Tucker, the man in his dream. So, Tuck, uh, so Coppola had always this fascination with Tucker because his dad bought stock in. The company, like his dad, saw the ads for this car, and bought stock in the company. And there's a scene, or a sequence in the movie where Tucker takes the car on tour, basically showing it off around the country. And Coppola, uh, Carmine Coppola, took young Francis to one of these shows, and they saw the car, and it looked so cool because it had that, it had the third, it had the third headlight. Like one in the center. And that's the one that turned with the steering wheel. And so it looked like a like a bullet. You know, almost like a spaceship. And it had the suicide doors in the back. Uh, before a lot of cars had that yeah. in the 50s. Yeah, and the engine was in the back. So he just, like, it was really cool. And he kept waiting for it to come. And then it never, the car never really came. And then, you know, as an adult, we found out why the story of Tucker. And wanted to tell that story he originally envisioned... This in like the mid '70s. He wanted to do it as a musical. <laughs> I could see that working. Yeah, this movie
1: is like if it was shot the same way because this movie is very colorful, like it looks like Technicolor. That, that as a musical would have totally worked.
0: And then um, he, you know, other projects, other projects, and our last actual Coppola episode, Gardens of Stone was in his, uh, he was in his director for hire period, not really happy with what he was doing, not able to get his own ideas off the ground. And when him and George Lucas were collaborating on the uh, Disney Captain EO thing, he tells George, he's not really happy doing this. George asks him, well, what, what do you want to do? He wants to tell the story of Tucker. So George Lucas now helps him George Lucas is the producer helping Coppola get this movie made, just how Coppola filled that role for Lucas in the late 60s and early 70s. The problem, however, was that Lucas, as a producer, had just done Howard the Duck. <laughs> so he wasn't, as far as like business was concerned, he wasn't Star Wars George Lucas. He was like how Howard the Duck, Howard the duck George, George Lucas. Lucas. So he had to self he George Lucas financed this movie for Coppola um and then when they got a distributor then Lucas got some of his money back but because of that uh Lucas wanted to. he was he was the producer so he was the guy telling George like "Well, we need to George was the guy telling Francis we need to make this like a commercial movie so it can't be a musical that would be too weird <laughs> so that was abandoned and There is a quote. Lucas says that Coppola can get really esoteric and he needs someone to rein him in. He doesn't (laughs) use that phrase, but that's kind of what he meant. (laughs) And for, he said, on The Godfather, that was Mario Puzo. And on Tucker, that's me. (laughs) The DVD of this has uh, little making of stuff. And Coppola talks about how, like, well, George, it's great for this his role as like producer because he the way he sees things he sees things like an architect kind of like sees the he knows what he wants he sees like the big picture and there's footage of like Coppola sitting at the like the editing bay and front, you know watching the the dailies and and uh, george lucas is over his shoulder pointing at this at the screen <laughs> and if you've seen a lot of making of movie stuff it's always like anonymous editor sitting and the director and the director <laughs> and over your <his> shoulder pointing <laughs> and it's like this is a weird dynamic <laughs> well so these are these two, two
1: old friends like they've known each other at this point for over you know 20 years so it, yeah it's really it's really weird when a movie opens with a lucasfilm logo that doesn't start with the john williams star wars music it it's really, unsettling. It was really It was really weird because he because he really just associated that with a blah, and then the scroll of whatever Star Wars movie. But in this one, it's not there. It just goes from yeah. the logo to the opening of Tucker.
0: Yeah. So it, this was really a passion dream project for Coppola, and it's great that he got to make it. And what kind of brought the idea of the Tucker biopic back to his mind is that. Uh, is the memory of Geo, his son, who died tragically during the f- filming of *Gardens of Stone*? Uh, b- around well, b- before that time, he uh, brought out the Tucker because Coppola does own like two Tuckers. <laughs> he brought it out and just washed it and say like, "Hey, Dad, we should have this in the uh, like the Fourth of July parade that their town does." And he had that memory of Gio. And it's like, okay, like that's Tucker was in his mind. And this movie is dedicated to Gio, who loved cars.
1: I think uh, George Lucas also owns a um, Tucker car, which makes sense because George Lucas is obsessed with cars. You know. And this movie feels like, I can tell why he was excited for, to do this movie with Coppola, because of his obsession with cars, especially cars of a certain era, being the 50s, you know, early 60s. So it just seems like the perfect thing for old dudes obsessed with cars <laughs> to make a movie about. This is the Ford V Ferrari of the late 80s. We're here to tell you how the world
0: is wrong. The world is wrong about. You. Mad Dog Time The Paper Boy Mordecai After Last Season The World Is Wrong is an extremely
1: positive podcast where Andras Jones and Brian Connolly champion films The World Is Wrong About Available on Paperhouse Network wherever you get your podcasts
0: uh, So this movie, it got a lot of positive reviews uh, Not from Roger Ebert who <laughs> gave it two and a half stars Uh, But there were all the snippets in the biography are really positive. If you look on Rotten Tomatoes at the reviews from the time, they are mostly really positive. And then this movie did not do well at the box office. It made less than $10 million and quietly left theaters. So that's too bad. I thought this movie was okay. I liked it.
1: It was fine. I think, I mean, it's weird because while I'm watching the movie, I'm enjoying it. And there's even parts I'm like, oh, this kind of feels like the Hudsucker proxy where it's like moving really fast. And the whole movie, Jeff Bridges is like, can't do no wrong. He's like, we're going to do this and follow me. And I got these dreams. And everybody's like, you betcha, let's do this. Until the end when he he has to deal with the courtroom. But then even at the end, he's very optimistic. And then it ends with this kind of great ending of like, I won. And then... The movie's over, and it's just like it's a weird. It's the weird. The movie is weird because I feel you don't really get to know who Tucker is as a person, even though he's in literally almost every scene of the movie. That was Roger Ebert. I feel like it's just you see this guy go through the motion of making this car, but it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not. It doesn't have the emotional complexities that you want from a character, especially like Joan Allen plays his wife the whole time. Is just like great idea, Tucker. And that's like all she does for the whole. There's never like the, there's no there's no behind the scenes drama other than like little bits with like, it would be it'll be something like someone will one of the people who works on his thing will say something like uh like uh, uh Elias Co- how do you say his name Coteas I say Coteas Coteas he comes in and he's sort of like helping with the design of it and he'll he'll get into a little scuffle of like well this is dangerous or this thing and then there'll be a moment where Tucker's like no. This is not the idea, and then there'll be a second later like, you know what? You're right. Like, like you great, like great on you to tell me that I was wrong, and then they just move on. That's <laughs> sort of like what keeps happening in the movie is like the it would be the most mild of like disagreement, and then in the end Tucker will just be like, oh, you know what? You're right. Well, I should change my mind on this, and <laughs> and that's the whole movie. Does it doesn't feel like there's a lot of drama really? It's uh, I don't know. I just felt like it needed more of. I mean, maybe because Jeff Bridges is so charming in this, but I know he can pull off, you know, a more disturbed, complex, you know, character, but he just is too much of, like, I'm the handsome guy and things are great, the end. And there isn't, like, the, you know, the wife arguing with him or the the co-worker arguing with him that he's crazy or his ideas are weird. Like, it doesn't, like, it doesn't, it all feels pretty breezy, the whole movie. And I really thought it was going to not... I thought it was going to be almost like The Aviator where it does get dark or it does get sinister. But the whole thing just kind of feels like... It's clearly Coppola trying to do like a Capra sort of movie. It feels like it feels very much like he's doing like a Frank Capra thing here. But without the
0: darkness that is in every Frank Capra movie. (laughs) Yeah, the Capricorn... His films are corny, you know, overly sentimental, everyone like ends up doing the right thing in the end. But those movies are dark and he is like saying like real important things about society and politics. And George Bailey has to stay in town because Miss Odin, there's no one else that will stand up to Mr. Potter and his corrupt, evil capitalism. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah. And this movie could have gone there because the, there's definitely like the villainous government here and the villainous corporations. But even the way it's handled, it all feels kind of light and it doesn't really connect in the right. <laughs> and just, it's not angry enough <laughs> at the end. It's, I don't know. And the fact that both filmmaker and producer own these cars, it's just sort of like, well, now they can resell those cars for more money because this movie lets people mm-hmm. know that these cool cars exist. So I don't know. Just it's and the fact that it turned into just a courtroom drama for the last 30 minutes. I really, that's only second to movies that end with like a whole sports event for the last 30 minutes. Of just sort of like takes me out of a movie and I'm just kind of bored. It's
0: how it's Uh, you don't know how to end your movie. Have it there's a big game or a dance or a courtroom courtroom scene. scene. Yeah, uh, that's and then you will trick people into thinking that your movie had a climax. Like Mash is just a bunch of rambling around, and then there's a football game at the end, and you think <laughs> that something big happened, but really nothing happened.
1: Yeah, so I was disappointed that it just ended with a long courtroom bit. It's just kind of like okay, eh, that's fine. Uh, but I mean, there, the, Martin Landau's great in it. Martin Landau plays. What would you say his role is? He's sort of like the money between... Yeah. Like he's the, sort of
0: like the... He's Tucker's business partner and he's the guy actually doing the business. He's like the the Roy Disney to Walt Disney.
1: <laughs> yeah. And he's definitely the most... The character in the movie that it gives, gives Tucker the most give and take. Like he's the one who's sort of like, this is crazy or what are you... But it always ends with him smirking and being like, oh, Tucker, basically. And they just go forward. But he's really good. And this was sort of his... Big comeback. Like he had done sort of a lot of trashy movies in the 80s, some very good trashy movies, but he wasn't really in important stuff. And this sort He's of
0: mostly known for being on the original Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Impossible.
1: But yeah. this sort of kickstarted him being a really good actor in movies. And then after this was Crimes and Misdemeanors, and after this was Ed Wood, and he was just like back being really, really great in really, really great movies. Um, this is also. Uh, the return of Frederick Forrest, which is maybe why the movie didn't do well. <laughs> maybe. Uh, luckily, uh, Coppola was smart enough to not make him Tucker, though maybe five years prior when he was obsessed with trying to make Frederick Forrest the biggest star in Hollywood. Uh, thankfully, Frederick Forrest is just like a bit player, one of the crew of people that helps Tucker out. The final collaboration between Frederick Forrest, and Forrest uh, for now, is he still alive? Is Frederick, could Frederick Force be in uh, the new one?
0: I think. Yeah, he
1: could still alive. They could still make another one. But for now, this was the last one, which is funny because before this, we did Gardens of Stone, which was the last collaboration with James Caan. So this is sort of him going back to some of his old people that he worked with. Like Joan Allen was in Peggy Sue Got Married. Um, Koteus was in Gardens of Stone. Um, we also have a Christian Slater, in this movie, uh, Corinne Nemec from, Ferris, or from Parker Lewis can't lose, right? Uh, as his son, Marshall Bell, which you'll recognize from some Paul Verhoeven stuff. Don Novello,
0: also known as Father Guido
1: Sarducci,
0: right? Oh my in god! In this movie, that was crazy <laughs> because I have never seen Father Guido Sarducci as any thing anybody else he's (laughs) he's just that person like sure that's a character a guy's playing a character like the way joe bob briggs is a is a character Mm -hmm. but like but come on but but he's that guy like come on (laughs) come on like this that is how joe bob briggs is in real life i mean yeah yeah um (laughs) and yeah so i've only ever seen father guido sarducci and then all of a sudden there's this guy talking exactly like father guido sarducci (laughs) And he's being funny like him. Like, what? <laughs> Is that Guido Sarducci? Like, but he but can't be. <laughs> he's not allowed in movies. He's not allowed It'd be like be...
1: seeing Jim Varney as Ernest in a movie that's not an Ernest movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, the, to me, the most exciting part of this movie was Dean Stockwell as Howard Hughes. The great, oh, yes. late Dean Stockwell. As a very sinister... I mean, Howard Hughes was sinister in real life, but like one of the like a more cinematically sinister. to This really part of the movie it becomes a weird. different
0: canted angles, like a noir art, mm-hmm. uh, you know, crazy film. Uh, Tucker and his son, they get you know a secret message from Howard Hughes, and a helicopter, an airplane, or something comes to pick him up, and they go to Howard Hughes, and he's there under his big uh, Hercules. Playing the the spruce goose which he didn't like that was not an affectionate nickname for that plane <laughs> uh and he's telling him like about you know like the hollywood or the uh you know the washington powers and conspiring against you know people like us and it's it's a really good scene and it's like howard hughes it was in his own you know uh ocd his mad world right And it's like Jeff Bridges goes from this lively movie (laughs) then into the world, the mad world of Howard Hughes. (laughs) And like we said, this is totally,
1: you could totally watch this with the aviator because it deals with the same legal battles that they both dealt with, which is The Same thing, both
0: accused of, yeah, being like, you were supposed to build this thing and you didn't. So now you're being put on trial. But I did build the thing. Well, prove it. Here it is, <laughs> <laughs>
1: but it does not end with Tucker filling eight jars with his urine, unlike. No. <laughs> uh, but uh, in this movie, it's it does feel like Coppola kind of going back to sort of this type of the movies he was making before. He was kind of just making movies for money, like this feel like there's lots of shots in this that feels very one from the heart, like a lot of the crazy long takes. Or sort of like almost like the fake split screen, but the two actors are actually there. So it's a lot of like kind of like making the shots within the frame, sort of stuff, which I really liked. And I it really, really liked worked in this too. movie.
0: Yeah, uh, Vittorio Storaro is back for cinematography. He shot Apocalypse Now and One from the Heart,
1: and it shows. This is one of the better looking
0: couple of movies in a while. Like, I love Peggy Sue Got Married, but this movie looks better than that movie. It does, and he, Vittorio Storaro likes to bathe entire scenes in a color. So, like, a lot of Apocalypse Now will be, like, all in blue and taken to the extreme uh, because of the artifice of One from the Heart. So, like, a whole room will be, you know, red or green, like, really red and green <clears throat> so here like some shots they'll be like this soft yellow because it's like in an, uh, an intimate scene with Tucker and his wife and those shots where they're he's talking on the phone he's like at a, a bank of, of phones and he calls Joan Allen and then she's there in the f- like front lower half of the screen like uh, like she's been inserted or like it's a split screen. But she's actually there in, <laughs> on that set talking, yeah. talking to him. But they used a split diopter, which allows the camera to give two uh, different uh, uh, focal lengths. Mm-hmm. So they could have Jeff Bridges in the background being in focus. And they could have an extreme close-up of Joan Allen also yeah. in focus. And it doesn't look right... But it, it makes sense, like, yeah. on a subconscious level. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's I, really I love that
1: stuff. playing with sort of, like, film sort of, yeah, the, the way you can set up a camera and stuff that we can in our minds just stick, take for granted of, like, film language stuff of, like, oh, yeah, well, it's a split screen. It mean, someone's or they just took two scenes, put it together. It's like, no, no, we're going to do that, but... More theatrically, they put them all together. They built a set, and then there's
0: like the wall, and on (laughs) one set is where one character's on on one side is where one character's on the phone, and on the other side is totally different. And this, it's that shot's
1: only one shot in the whole movie. so it means they built that crazy set just for that one, like forty seconds. Not even Mm forty seconds. Classic Coppola. That's that's some like you're gonna go this crazy way just to do this fancy show offy shot, which is but it's beautiful. Um, and the movie also feels very autobiographical for Coppola, like just where we're at now in his career and what we've learned about him, like this whole idea of this guy putting all his money into this drink, this movie could have been called Coppola, the man in his dream, and it could have been about Zoetrope or whatever, because it really is the same idea. Of like you're, you have this idea, you're gonna just put everything in. All the people close to you is gonna, your family is all gonna be behind it, and then it just doesn't quite work.
0: It's it, like people, <laughs> like there's you know the the powers that be, people outside, right? So for Coppola, it's like Hollywood executives and and critics, and for uh, Tucker, it's the auto industry and the senators that they control. Yeah, and they're saying like you were supposed to do this thing and you didn't and like you like lied to people and in the end like tucker shows all the cars he can't show them in the courtroom because the judge won't allow the jury to go to the window and see all the cars that he parked outside but we know he built the 50 cars and after the trial is over the jury goes outside and they see all 50 cars like hey look i i did the thing <laughs> like, Coppola, you were you said you were going to found your own studio <laughs> and make different kinds of movies and produce other people's movies. Like, I did that. Yeah, Hammett, guys. He brings Hammett to the courtroom. I made my own studio. <laughs> one from the I heart. made my own, like, strange new movie. I produced Hammett. I, yeah. you know, he imported uh, um, that Kurosawa film. Uh it was uh, Kagamusha. Yeah, think, Kagamusha. Right? Yeah. Like, I did these things. You're saying that I didn't, but I did... <laughs> Here it is. Here's the evidence.
1: (laughs) And there's even a part in this movie where uh, Tucker, Jeff Bridges, talks about he didn't fail because it's the idea that counts, the dream. Like, that's what matters. And that's such, like, I can see that embroidered on a thing hanging in Coppola's office because it's basically sort of how he can just describe his entire career. Yeah, he didn't find one at Hobby Lobby or Michael's, so he did But made 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 it, it. Made it really so. feels like that is the Coppola motto. It's like, it doesn't matter if it failed. It doesn't matter if everyone hates it. It's the dream. It's the idea that counts. And I feel he's stood by that his whole life. I think like we, the movies we haven't even done yet, like Twixt or whatever, the movies that nobody likes, he still... It's important to him because it's all about sort of like you did it, you know?
0: Yeah, I feel like that's why Coppola and the movie feels like this is a positive and like it has a happy ending. Like Tucker wins. He doesn't because he doesn't get to produce his car. There's no Tucker Auto Industries, you know, that gets shut down. But like the dream is what triumphs, you know, the idea yeah. of the car filters out through... Uh, you know the the people he showed it to, and then you know years, decades later, there are seatbelts in cars, and there is the headlights to go class. with the yeah. the steering wheel. Yeah, like finally, it, yeah, it, even that. Finally, <laughs> um, he asked Frank Capra to produce or executive produce this movie, and Frank Capra read the the script and said he couldn't do it because in the end, like Tucker doesn't win. Like it, and Coppola says, what do you mean? Like, Tucker, he wins. Like, no, if he, he didn't get to make the car. He didn't get to keep making the car. But to Coppola, like, it was a triumph because the dream didn't die. These, these suits, you know, these people that want to stifle anything new, they didn't win because the, because the ideas caught on. And there's a scene where he talks. He's talking to Martin Landau. And Martin Landau says something like that. Someone told him, like, uh, you shouldn't catch... Like, you might catch germs from people, but you might also catch their dreams. <laughs> that's what... To me, that's, like, what it could say for a lot of filmmakers, but for Coppola, this movie especially, but for any of his movies, like... Like maybe you'll maybe they'll catch the dream instead of catching a germ. It'll be a dream that they catch. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
1: Watch the making of Apocalypse Now. That's totally what happens. These people all go crazy together in the jungle because they believe in his dream of this movie, and are going to yeah. spend years working on it or put all their time into Zoetrope and be a part of this crazy idea of this little independent studio, this big independent studio. Um, did you feel when the, there's certain shots in this movie that reminded me so much? Of some Wes Anderson stuff, like the scenes where all the characters are crammed together in one shot. Yeah, feels very Wes Anderson to me. Yeah, like, that's what he like feels. the the scenes where like it's it's Tucker like figuring something out, and there's like literally like every character in his life crammed in one shot, like ten people, like his entire family, everyone like he works with him like that. There's so many shots in like Life Aquatic. That is that. That's exactly and, what I was going to think of when they're <laughs> all crammed into crammed little submarine. In, and they're all just sort of like – they're all, it's almost like he carries them with him. Like these all these people that are around him being like, great idea, Tucker. Oh, boy, Tucker, we're there for you. And they're just like – they're literally there with him always. Like it just feels like his entire family is with him every step of the way. <laughs> and all the people that work on the car. And there are just like – there's so many scenes where it's just like people crammed in as much as you can fit – almost like a Marx Brothers skit. There's like, how many people can you fit into one shot? (laughs) And so in my mind, Wes Anderson must have
0: seen this and must have been inspired by some of that framing for uh, Steve Zizou. I mean, Coppola's always liked to do interesting things with the camera and transitions. But here I feel like they're a part of... There's something exciting about him. He's not doing the, the trick shots, the... You know, cut to a close-up of uh, Jeff Bridges is in, is in one scene and one meeting and they cut to a close-up of him and now he's in a totally different room or the uh, the split diopter phone stuff it's not just for the sake of, of doing those things it's because this character of Tucker who's like larger than life and captures all of these people in his dream is like making feels like his character is making the movie the way it is so lively and all these like lively visual touches like this is so much visually different from gardens of stone or even peggy sue got married and there's some good shot some good camera work in peggy sue got married like gardens of stone is pretty pretty basic and here this the whole movie feels feels really full of life like Mm -hmm. uh like tucker like like jeff bridges brings to tucker like you said he's just really Charming the whole time through, uh, Tucker the Tucker family uh, was involved in the making of this film, so that helps explain the like very positive portrayal of their <laughs> of their father and uh, and Her husband. Mom, yeah. he, he died uh, in the mid fifties, like six years after the events shown in the movie. Yeah, and a lot of the movie feels like Oh, remember that time that dad brought home Like 12 dozen dog, Like a dozen dogs <laughs> And four soldiers and yeah. Like well, what happened to all those dogs uh, You know, whatever Doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Just one of those things dad does
1: <laughs> I'm sure the family was very happy to, But yeah, that is the problem of maybe why It doesn't There's not a lot of drama then Because of it If this was another movie, it would have had, like, the wife and him having some arguments about, like, maybe you should give this up, or maybe you should, like, what what are you doing to your family, making them have to go through all this, like, Like, because of your dreams. Like, Joan Allen is
0: good, and she gets, uh, like, a fair amount of screen time. Um, She gets a couple scenes where she uh, gets to go to the board of directors after the Tucker Corporation becomes a thing, and they bring in a, a real auto executive guy to run the whole thing not knowing or not fully understanding that this guy now owns the whole company so he's changing all the basic designs of the car the things that make the car the car getting rid of the seat belts yeah and the engine in the rear is like it, an engine in the rear won't work we know that it does <laughs> uh there's a scene where she goes into the boardroom And is telling this guy to stop doing the changes and the guy says like oh well I'll have I'll have my wife call you and we can have a dinner she's like no I'm talking about business stuff to you now (laughs) not as like a wife like a social thing like I'm doing business now and I mean that's a you know she doesn't get a lot of scenes like that but there is at least one or two moments where she gets to have uh some authority still supporting her husband's her husband's dream, her husband's goals, but she's more than just like staying at home giving supporting words. She's kind of taking action, you know, on his behalf while he's on this national tour.
1: And that scene is good. Her confronting those guys, it's a, it is a great scene.
0: So, this movie was co-written by David
1: Seidler, Seidler Seidler, who later went on to win the Oscar for Best Writing for The King's Speech. Another true story. Uh, So this movie is not even written by an American, written by a British man. (laughs) Co-written by a British man. Uh, So that was interesting. I didn't realize... I mean, I guess it made sense, since he was the oldest man to win the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay, that he would have written a lot more movies long before The King's Speech. I just didn't realize Tucker was one of them. I'm not sure if he had written the original script that... They had in the 70s, like when Coppola trying to make it then? Or was there even a script? Like, did he even have it written down until, or was no. it just more of an idea? It was than an he idea for a long
0: time. It was an idea when the movie was finally being put together in the mid 80s, was when he hired uh, Siegler. Because
1: I guess at one point he wanted Jack Nicholson to be Tucker, which would have been a very fascinating movie. <laughs> uh, Burt Reynolds is the Bert other. Reynolds, they, Those two guys, like, I feel like if they had gone with one of those two. There would have been a dark, and it, just a darkness within it, whether it was written or not. Absolutely. There would have been a sleaziness with Burt Reynolds and just a creepiness with Jack Nicholson, like just because that's just what those guys bring. Like, I love them. But there's something about their persona that's very different than Jeff Bridges, who was very all American boy. You know, like, just, you, just, you just love Jeff Bridges no matter what. Like, I don't know if
0: he's ever played a bad guy in a movie. I mean, he's played. Like, he was in that, like, American remake of The Vanishing. Oh, yeah. As the creepy killer guy. But,
1: like, he normally plays, like, he's, like, one of the most liked people. Like, he's almost like a Tom Hanks. Not quite. He's more interesting than Tom Hanks. But he has that, like, every dad loves the Big Lebowski and everybody loves Tron and everybody loves just Jeff Bridges in general. He's just, like, America loves him so much. And so, like, if you took him out and put in late 70s Burt Reynolds, like, post Smokey and the Bandit, Burt Reynolds, or Jack Nicholson, like, Terms of Endearment era, Jack Nicholson, like, that would have been a very different movie.
0: It really would have, uh, and Tucker, because this was produced by his family, they just didn't even bother with some of, uh, like, according to, I think, the, uh, the summary of Tucker the film in um, the Coppola biography I'm reading by Michael Shoemaker Schum- and other places that Tucker did have, like, you know, he had affairs. Uh, but those of course aren't mentioned in the movie but there are scenes of him flirting with other women so, like flirting with the, the car models like kind of in the background and it's jeff bridges so it's like well he's like yeah but he's just like he's flirting but he's not really like bridges, flirting yeah. like he's he's just being friendly like he's jeff bridges like that's okay <laughs> he's not doing anything lascivious but if it was Jack Nicholson, <laughs> yeah,
1: you'd be like, "Oh, they're totally having oh, sex." Oh, yeah, <laughs> dirty, yeah. dirty sex. And same with Burt Reynolds, you're like, "Oh yeah, they're definitely gonna go do it." <laughs> 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 Whereas Jeff Bridges, you're like, "No, Jeff Bridges doesn't even go to the bathroom. No way." Also, Jeff Bridges
0: looks great <laughs> in a hat, in a fedora. He does.
1: He, you know, what? in this movie, you can totally see he could have been an Indiana Jones. I feel he could have been a great Indiana Jones, like he. I like him more than Harrison Ford, but he has that Harrison Ford thing of, like, I'm this handsome, likable guy. Jeff Bridges, I think, is more interesting as an actor. But, man, what if if someone had made... There's not enough, like, fun action movies starring Jeff Bridges. He didn't really do that. I mean, Tron is pretty close. But, like, man, wouldn't it wouldn't have been great if there was, like, some swashbuckling, sort of, like, Indiana Jones-type movie, but
0: with Jeff Bridges in it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, if... Um, I mean, like... <laughs> The, the casting... Like, Michael Douglas is fine and he's good at Romancing the Stone, Oh, but Jeff Bridges, Bridges would have been good. Total, oh,
1: that would totally been good. No, yeah. Let's do a remake now of that. Like, why not? With the old Jeff Bridges. And bring mm-hmm. Kathleen Turner back. And Danny DeVito. Actually, we should just make a third of those movies anyways. They're making, like... Why isn't Zemeckis doing that? They're rebooting he, everything. Let's have another romancing whatever... What do you want to call that series? Jewel well, was, of
0: the... Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile. Yeah, it'd have to be like something with a rock, yeah, or a
1: stone or polishing, polishing of polish. the gem. Or <laughs> <something>. <laughs> yeah, I want that's okay, dear Hollywood, dear Robert Zemeckis. Stop dicking around with your CG movies or whatever you're doing, and make the third of those movies before one of those people dies. I want to see those three people together, old yeah. or Jeff Bridges. If Michael Douglas is like, I'm too old, bring Jeff Bridges in and do it. <laughs> so this movie was actually nominated for a bunch of Oscars. It which was Which it's it been was... a while since a couple of movie like Peggy Sue got married had a few, did it
0: not? Yeah, uh for Kathleen Turner, she was yeah. nominated for best actress.
1: Garden Stone did not get anything ju- justifiably so. But yeah, <laughs> this like... movie actually even though this movie failed in the box office, it had a decent amount of Oscar nominations.
0: It had 3, which is you know that's good that's good especially for a movie that did not do well at the box office because we know that Oscar loves popular movies uh, <laughs> so what so this would have been Oscar's 89 88 oh this was the but year. they gave it out in 89 right right the ceremony is held the year after I I say that the it's for the year where the movies were released because that's yeah that's when that's the year that's being honored. Uh, three Oscar nominations. Best Supporting Actor for Martin Landau. Nice. Makes sense, yes. Art Direction, Dean Tavallaris yes. and Armin Gantz. And Best Costume Design, uh, Molina Cananaro.
1: And it, I'm assuming lost in all three
0: categories. All three categories it lost. Uh, so who was nominated? Who won Like with Landau? What was
1: he against and who
0: won? So this is a year where it's like, what did that lose to, like, Okay, like that's what was it? So, fine. what were the best pictures of '88? Like, '88 was, I'm guessing, Rain Man, right? So, the nominee, yeah, Rain Man won. The other nominees were The Accidental Tourist, Dangerous Liaisons, Mississippi Burning, and Working Girl. Ooh, what an interesting year. That's yeah. all those movies are really good. Uh, that was also the year Martin Scorsese gets a Best Director nomination for Last Temptation of Christ. Oh,
1: wow. Okay. Wow, '88. Uh, okay.
0: Charles, so, Charles Crichton gets a Best Director nomination for A Fish Called Wanda. <laughs> and Kevin Kline wins Best Supporting Actor. Oh,
1: that's right. He he. I mean, he is great in that yeah, movie. I mean, it's great. hard to not... Oh, man, that's what a, movie, a great year for movies. That's
0: a movie I did not see until like maybe three years ago. So good. It's so good. I'm like, I wish I had seen this. When I, when I was a teenager and I could have watched it like 10 more times by now. <laughs> Did that
1: win original screenplay? Did John Cleese win original screenplay for Fish Called Wanda? Like, it feels like the type of movie that would
0: have won for writing that year. It was uh, nominated. Oh, what beat it? Rain Man. Uh, okay. That's a pretty good script, too. Yeah.
1: Uh, but yeah, Kevin Klein it's great. And it was nominated for director? Oh, so were there uh, a few uh, director but not picture sort of movies. Who right. didn't get director out of the best picture? Uh, like, cause like usually there's one who gets left out. I'm guessing Barry Levinson won
0: for director, right? right? Um, it looks like the director of Accidental Tourist Ka- was is that Kazdin, I think, right? Let's see. The nominees for director are Barry Levinson, Charles Creighton for A Fish Called Wanda, Scorsese. Alan Parker for Mississippi Burning, and Mike Nichols for Working Girl.
1: Wait, so there's one other missing then, because uh, Temptation of Christ wasn't so overpictured. So Stephen either.
0: Frears wasn't on Ah, so no Frears liaisons. and no Kasdan. Yeah.
1: I love Accidental Tourist. Another movie that feels like Wes Anderson studied and ripped off. Like, <laughs> Accidental Tourist feels very Wes Anderson-y to me. So, who were the other supporting actors? Like, Kevin Kline, I feel, justifiably wins for Fish Called Water. And it's awesome that they gave it to a comedy
0: a very silly comedy and a yeah. very silly character, but brilliant. Um, the other uh, nominees for Supporting Actor are Alec Guinness for Little Dorrit. Oh. I uh, haven't seen that one. Uh, I'm aware of the, uh, the Dickens yeah. novel. Uh, Martin Landau for Tucker. River Phoenix for Running on Empty. Oh, nice. And Dean Stockwell for Married to the Mob.
1: Oh. Did Dean Stockwell win like the... There's some critics thing where they give it to every like for all the movies, so like I can see him being like, "You win for Married to the Mob and Tucker." I mean, he's good, in Tucker. <laughs> he's great in Married to the Mob. That's a great movie. A lot of people. That's like another great like
0: silly yeah. comedy. Eighty
1: eight was on fire with like well made, well crafted right? silly like movies, movies. It
0: was okay when movies were silly, right? Like even comedies were silly. The only person still making silly comedies is Adam Sandler, right? <laughs>
1: But he doesn't have a director like Jonathan Demme behind him, <laughs> <Yeah>. unfortunately. <laughs> uh, Dennis Dugan not quite up to snuff with that. But <laughs> uh, yeah, like back in the day when you'd have real directors making silly movies, like yeah, like Charles Crichton, like he was old. Like he would made, I think he made some of those Ealing comedies. Like, and he was pretty old by the time of Fish Called Wanda. And Fish Called Wanda, an incredibly well crafted movie. But an incredibly silly movie. Like, they shove french fries up Michael Palin's nose and stuff. So that's yeah, like, a, like a very wacky movie.
0: The, the uh, guy, he keeps, like, trying to kill <laughs> this woman, but keeps killing her dogs. <laughs> it's, oh, that movie's brilliant. So um, Wes Anderson probably liked that one, too. Because <laughs> he loves killing dogs. Yeah.
1: So Wes Anderson was all about 1988. He must have been the right age. And he's like, I'm going to take a little bit of Tucker. I'm going to take a little bit of Exynal Tourist. Take a little bit of a uh, fish called Wanda, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'll make my movies. Um, <laughs> so, so then, what did it lose to for set for art direction?
0: Art direction, it lost to, and it's another one like it makes sense. It lost to Dangerous Liaisons. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the other art direction nominees were Beaches, Rain Man, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit.
1: Oh, that came out. Idiot is well. why wasn't that yeah. up for Best Picture and Director?
0: I mean that's an incredible I'm that, guessing it must have won all the special effects awards that it year. It won special effects and editing. Oh,
1: editing pretty good. Man, what a year 88. Like Roger Rabbit was a huge oh, yeah. huge deal. It's hard yeah.
0: it would be hard to explain to a young person today how big a deal <laughs> Roger Rabbit was the mixing <laughs> of of live action and in animation, animation in that way. But then also there is a shot in that movie which I need to buy this movie before Disney buries it, where Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse are in the same shot talking to each other. <laughs> yeah. They figured out
1: whatever legalities to yeah. put all these things together. I mean, now Disney owns everything, so it doesn't make it. It's totally fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then what was for... Uh, what was the third one it was up Costume for? Design, Costume
0: design. It lost to Dangerous Liaisons. Again, Again it makes sense. Other yeah. nominees were uh, Coming to America... A handful of dust. I've never heard of that movie. Handful and, of dust and sunset.
1: Oh, the Blake Edwards movie. Oh. Very good. Also eighty eight. Wow, what a
0: what a year. Good movie. And, you know, like yeah, coming to America has really good costumes.
1: Handful of dust is a movie no one remembers anymore, starring Kristen Scott Scott Thomas, based on the Evelyn Waugh novel. Okay, this some. It looks like some like uh, you know Merchant Ivory sort of type. Movie.
0: <laughs> stately drama.
1: Oh, Allegheny guinness also in that, and Dame Judy Dench and Angelica Houston. Huh. All right. And uh, Kristen St- Scott Thomas uh, looks really pretty in it. I like her. She's great.
0: All right. watch that. Handful of Dust. She's one of the few people that's like allowed to be French. She's not <laughs> French, but like they're okay with she her lives being there. in all the movies. <laughs> I think she lives there or something. Yeah. I mean, it's so England's so close. So like, yeah, that. Dangerous Liaisons, a period film. That's gonna always win. It's always awards gonna for win. Costume, and that's the only like, but like the costumes are good, and you can say the same thing about Tucker. Like, it's it's a period film, so they're always they always have those costumes around. In both cases, I mean, they're they're good. They look good. But again, yeah. with
1: Lando being nominated, that kind of solidifies like he's back and better than ever. And I feel he was nominated for Crimes and Misdemeanors as well. If not, he should have been because he's amazing in that movie. And then he finally wins with Ed Wood, uh, beating even the likes of Samuel Jackson in Pulp Fiction, like beating a lot of great actors that year. So Landau, who is, I think, the best in this movie. Like he is so good. Like his character is the most interesting to me. Yeah, he's got the one,
0: like he's the one with something to really play because he is. Like, a low-level business guy. Tucker meets him on the train and convinces him to come home with him to, like, uh, talk to some more and invest. Like, well, here's my family, and here's the garage where I make things, and, you know, you should uh, invest stuff. He has connections that have connections. And... And he's the one that actually has, like, a dark thing from his
1: past that he yeah, worries wants to come back and, like, ruin everything. Yeah, he
0: went to jail. For, he went to prison for fraud, yeah, and that's gonna be like used against him. So he has to, leave. He has to quit the company, even though he still believes in Tucker. And he's the one that gives Tucker the warning of like, you know, they're gonna like come after you. Like, it. And, you know, they're just they're not gonna stop. Um, he's the one expressing skepticism, but also still believing in the car and in in the guy. Still yeah. believing in. And he catches the dream and he believes in it. But he's aware of like all the stuff, all the forces around, around Tucker.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe this movie isn't as bad as I thought. It, like talking about it now for the last hour, I'm like in my mind, I'm like, yeah, maybe it's pretty, pretty good. I think I just wanted. I think I was just expecting more. It definitely was more entertaining than I thought it was gonna be. Like my whole life, I avoided this movie. I remember as a kid seeing the box for it and being like. That's not a movie for kids. That's not a movie I want to see. Some yeah the about a original, car.
0: What is this? I don't care. The original is poster, it's like it's Jeff Bridges kind of doing like a hero pose yeah. and the American flag. Yeah, I was worried it was like going to be like a patriotic sort of thing or
1: something. It just like it felt very, I don't know, just like a movie in the late '80s with an American flag on the, on the cover. I just got really worried that I was like, oh, this is not going to be a thing that I want to... This is like, is this some Reagan thing? or something? I, I don't know. Like, I just didn't... Like, the man in his dream and the flag behind him. I just got nervous and never watched it. Uh, but now I did. And it. And I was so shocked at how much Coppola-type stuff was in it. Of course it is. And that keeps happening in the show. As I keep seeing these movies for the first time that I always assumed were going to be kind of regular movies. And then they're still kind of weird and strange because Francis Ford Coppola can't help but add... His own unique flair to everything that he makes um and I feel like after this we're kind of gonna get into some bigger some bigger things like we're very close to Godfather three and Dracula and like he's gonna be
0: yeah kind of back into being sort of a Hollywood big big shot yeah you know? we're not uh yeah we're not that far off from that and you're right this period even though. Like I love the watching all these '80s movies because we're finding Coppola is still in what always appears to be just a generic Hollywood movie, and even knowing that this is Coppola's passion project, and George Lucas is producing, and Lucas isn't gonna let him go crazy, but he's gonna let him, you know, do it artistically. Mm-hmm. Even knowing that, I'm still thinking it's gonna be something like Peggy Sue Got Married, a, a straightforward, you know, as straightforward as a time traveling dream is but like a, a a linear story with you know some interesting camera angles and you know a, a good a, a good theme you know a good mm-hmm. message and it is well it is that but like the the camera stuff like really really works he's like really making you know as putting as much art into his movie as he can it's not an art film like Rumble Fish, or or uh, the conversation, but it is a nice. Uh, I don't know, like like it, it's it's a he got as much artistic uh, vision into this pretty mainstream Hollywood movie as as he could.
1: And this being his last feature of the eighties, it's it still is weird, even with this one and with all of them that all these movies have been so written off and so forgotten about, like. And just thought of as sort of like this is his lost at sea years before he came back in the 90s with like Dracula um, or Godfather 3 or whatever. But yeah, it's just weird that these, the, all of these movies from like One from the Heart through Tucker are all thought of as like these failures or these movies he made just to pay back his debt. But all of them, even the ones I don't really care for as much like A Garden of Stone, feel like the movies that Coppola wants to make and they feel very artistic and especially ones like Rumblefish and and this one, like it really has him adding his flair, adding his unique perspective as a, as a person and filmmaker and giving you the movie that he wanted to do. And it just, I think it's just that unfortunate weird thing of like, he didn't mean to make some of the greatest movies of all time and then have to keep wanting to make movies. And how can you live up to being the person who made... The Godfather and Godfather Two and The Conversation, Apocalypse Now, and then you make all that in one 10-year decade, in one decade, and then the next decade you don't make, you know, five of the greatest movies of all time, but instead you make still movies that are yours that are well-made, but because they aren't, because he raised the bar so high, it's, it reminds me of, like, Great British Bake Off. When you watch a Great British Bake Off, you have, like, the people that do, like, in the new season, there's the German guy, Jürgen. Wins right, two in right. a row, and it's in the bar's race. and then when he makes his bread, that's not as great <laughs> as the two things from the other episodes. because now you're stand- like the judges are now judging you at a higher standard because they know what greatness you can reach. And I feel that's kind of what happened with Coppola with all these movies from the 80s is that like if he had not made the move, if he had just started with one from the heart and went through Tucker, I feel that would have been a filmmaker that people were really interested in, even though those movies didn't all do well. I think that is a run of movies that are really unique and different than a lot of the other movies made at that time. And I think it just, it's just unfortunate that he just had to follow it from the decade where he was you know, like the, the greatest. I, <laughs> and, no, I totally agree. And, and Tucker, like, though I wasn't won over by it, it is unique, it is different. And it does feel kind of ahead of its time in a way. Like I said, it feels very like proxy. It or Proxy. It, the, the pacing of it doesn't feel like a movie from 1988. It feels more like a movie made later on when the movies were a little quicker. Like it has a, a fast pace to it, the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it's just silly that, that all these movies are kind of like put on the shelf and just thought of as like... And, that's, and I, I'm guilty of that too. I never watched these movies because I always just heard... Oh, that's his payback debt movies. I don't need to bother with those. Those don't mean
0: anything to him, or why would it mean anything to me? But it's just not true. Yeah, like you, you have The Godfather, which is like an artistic success, a commercial success. Same for Part Two, The Conversation. Like that is like an A-class art house movie. I love it. Apocalypse Now. Same thing. Yeah. That is
1: not a normal movie. But all of those movies made money. And that's such a hard, rare thing to accomplish—to make your big artistic vision and have it be successful, money-wise, with people like that—is and to
0: do that many in a row. Yeah, if you take those away, and just looking at the 1980s, what you have, I think, is a filmmaker where you keep seeing interesting stuff in his work. Like, and then I feel like you're still interested in, like, well, what's he? This guy's gonna do. What's he gonna do next? Like, I'm interested in the next movie instead of. Constantly comparing him to the success <laughs> no. success from before. Um, yeah, Tucker is I mean it's good I, I recommend it. Um, you know is it the Godfather? Well what is you know <laughs> Is it like the the arthouse uh, esoteric like wonderfulness of rumblefish? like no, but what is you know <laughs> yeah, but it it's, it's a fascinating thing. And we, yeah, we're
1: this is sort of the in a way the end of of this chapter of like the next episode gonna be a weird one, but this is sort of the end of his sort of like these types of movies because then we're gonna have him make much bigger, more successful movies again in the '90s. Um, <clears throat> he's he's gonna come his comeback it will happen basically, but before we get to that, the next episode is gonna be New York Stories. From 1989, which I'm very excited. Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. I love that movie. And it's an anthology movie or an omnibus film, whatever you want to call it. And it's uh, three movies that all take place in New York City. Uh, One directed by Martin Scorsese, one directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and one directed by Woody Allen. Uh, And it's pretty good. And it's definitely uh, three very different filmmakers making three very different movies. And some people, it doesn't work for
0: them. Especially the Coppola one. is It's a very hated segment of an anthology what movie. You'll, <laughs> what you'll hear basically the li- the party line on that is, the cinephile line is the Scorsese one is the best, the Coppola one is the worst. Not just in like, it's the least good of the three, it's ranked number three. It was like, you have to mention that you hate the Coppola one <laughs> or you will lose cred as a you know cinephile <laughs> film Twitter person. <laughs>
1: And people like the Woody Allen one just fine. But yeah, the Coppola one, I think, also is in the middle of the movie. So people just are like, who are anxious to get from Scorsese to Woody Allen in this time when Francis Ford Coppola was considered sort of a loser, I think if a lot of people had a hard time with that. And he's not even in New York. He's not even a New York filmmaker. So why didn't they fucking get Spike (laughs) Lee... But <laughs> we'll talk about all that. Oh, man, In our next, episode, our next episode, <laughs> we'll ponder what it could have been if they actually went with people from New York all the way through. Uh, but I, I, please watch the movie before we talk about it. I think it's great. I'm sure it's not terribly hard to find. Maybe it is. I have uh, no idea New York anymore.
0: Stories is pretty easy to find. There's, uh, It's on DVD. It's on Blu-ray. I might... Christmas is coming up. I might uh, put that on my Christmas list. Uh, it's on last I checked, it was available for free on Hoopla. Oh. And I think it's maybe on some other streaming services. But yeah, you can check out New York Stories. We didn't... We we didn't put a spoiler alert at the beginning of this episode because we forgot, but also because it's a guy's life story, you know. It's the real life. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we will spoil all uh, all of the stories of New York. Well, you did spoil the
1: vanishing. I didn't know that Jeff Bridges was the bad guy in that, so now I don't have to watch that movie. Thanks. <laughs> AJ, Um, but yeah, and I think uh, we will talk about the whole movie. We're not going to just talk about the Coppola segment yeah, because it is a movie that exists as it's a thing. So we're going to have to talk about the other parts. And going into this, I love the Scorsese one. It's like one of the best short films, maybe the best short film I've ever seen. So like, and I'm one of those people that remembers hating the Coppola parts. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to rewatch it now in the context of watching all the other stuff to see if I actually like it this time around. I've seen
0: it once in my going through either every Scorsese or every Woody Allen movie. <laughs> so now um, the third time you're doing Coppola. Yeah, now the third time keeps I'm doing going it for Coppola. Through the crossroads of New York it's, stories. What I remember is that the Coppola one is the one I liked the most. Really, it's the one I also now. Mm. Remember the Leafs. <laughs> well, I, I want to talk about
1: it now, but we're gonna have to All hold right, yeah. off because I feel like there's things I want to say, but we're just gonna wait. That's so it's a preview. Fill, preview. Uh, but yeah, that'll be ours. Uh, I'm who knows when we'll get around to doing it. It's about almost Christmas time. Maybe we'll fit in before. Probably not. But
0: uh, soon, I mean, yeah. try to be. In the meantime, Tucker is. I think it's still streaming on Tubi mm-hmm. and IMDb TV. There's commercials, but who cares? You know, make yourself a a drink or go, go to the bathroom. bathroom or something. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Uh, it's also available on. There's a nice uh, 30th anniversary Blu-ray out there, and uh, you know, I say check it out. Yeah. There's a man named Tucker. He
1: is. You got a dream, so the title doesn't lie. You get exactly what is advertised. Yeah.
0: Great. Well, right. good job. All right, then. Uh, so, uh, Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, not everyone can get a Tucker this year, unfortunately. <laughs> it's on the top of my list. I want that car. Yeah. It's a beautiful car. And uh, we will see you next time in New York. Yes.